Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of Decipher the Media, the podcast where we talk to creative professionals in media. Uh, this episode, we have my friend Mackenzie Horn on. Um, it was a real pleasure to have her on the podcast. I've actually known Mackenzie for about um, almost 15 years, over 15 years, I would say. So it was great to actually be able to sit down with her and really talk to her um, in a way that I never really got a chance to do before. So in this episode, we get to talk about what she does in creative media, which involves uh, a lot of creative writing, um, a lot in the music scene, as well as a lot about how she got to those places. Um, she does a lot uh, for grant writing, um, and she's also very involved with the local jazz music scene. Um, it's a it was a very interesting conversation and it was interesting to see uh, how she has uh, creatively expressed herself and helped her community in many ways. Um, it's also uh, wonderful to see that, um, you know, there is this, this culture that exists out there in the community that most people wouldn't be aware of unless they really look for it. And she kind of opens the door for that, for other people to see that there's a lot out there to explore. And the way to do it is to go out there and see it yourself and experience it yourself. And that was a lovely, lovely conversation that I had with her about that. Um, so without any further delay, uh, this is going to be Decipher the Media with Mackenzie Horn. Enjoy. So I was actually thinking about this on the way over here today. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but but I had like a sustained period of like a decade, a very long decade where I strictly just played Harvest Moon in my free time. And it was exactly because of you, because my dad would drop me off at your parents' house and be like, don't bother oh me all God. day. And I would play your game. You know what is funny? That's funny. I was going to bring that up, actually. <laughs> you really? I was like, because I, I mean, I mean, how long have we known each other? Like, since you were like. Eight or nine years eight old, or probably. Nine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, let's see. I'm, how old are you now? 25 now. 25. So I'm five years, four years old, almost five years older than you. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I just remember I have this vague image of like, like on like weekends when you and your brother would like, um, come down to our house and your brother would like help out on the farm. <laughs> and then you would like go to my basement and play my GameCube and mm -hmm. play like Harvest Moon and stuff. And I just remember that just like, just like walk in and you're just like, you know, milking cows or whatever. You know, as one does. <laughs> Gotta go mine the ores and, you know, uh, yeah. sacrifice herbs to the harvest goddess as one does, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> no, I used to be real into that, too. Like, I was really obsessed with that growing up. Um, I had a Super Nintendo um, growing up, and that's like when the first Harvest Moon game came out. Oh, it was my brother's Super Nintendo. Um, so it was like in his bedroom, but I would like 
take over his bedroom all the time <laughs> to play Harvest Moon. And he would get so mad at me. He would just like always be like Older brother. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he'd be like super pissed at me all the time. I was actually listening to this podcast the other day and it's this podcast for wannabe fiction writers and the lady who runs it is this crazy sci-fi author but she is obsessed with this game called stardew valley which is sort of really heavily influenced by those games yeah i play that yeah and 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 she she chalks up spending all of her free time playing this game because she's like it helps me learn character development and it helps me learn to you know what to do and what not to do and it's like that's fantastic Mm. that's great Yeah, if only like all the, like the things that you learn in that game could translate into real life, like <laughs> you know how to sustain a business, business and how to sustain a good relationship and all that stuff. Like it's just like so easy in those games. Yeah, it's like oh, I want this this girl to like me. I just keep giving her flowers, exactly, like, just every day. Give her chocolate and, then, and, and eventually they'll like me enough that I can just marry them. I'm like. It's not that easy in real life. No, the blue feather game is not that strong in real life. It's just like, yeah, I don't think, you know, that might might translate a little differently if I just keep going up to the same person and like, I got you stuff. I'm just like, (laughs) like, no, I'm getting a, you know, a restraining order. Yeah, I got you a PFA. Wow. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that's like I just I, that was my first like thing I thought of when <laughs> we like I wanted to like bring you on was like it was just like I just like have this vague memory of that growing up. And of course, I would be like there probably playing games too, but like no, I had to since I grew up on a farm, I had to be out on the farm helping. Right. Which I absolutely hated. I was like, um, yeah, so I was like real happy to like get out of there. Yeah. Like I appreciate what it is and I understand how important farming is, but I couldn't not do that for a living. I, I look at people who sort of got out of our hometown to do more artistic creative things yeah and it really is quite amazing because it's like wow you know like it everything that we do now in terms of our creative lives was always looked at as something like oh you know like that's a nice hobby like that's a nice thing you can do in your free time once you have your real functioning job that contributes in some way to society yeah it was never like a tangible feasible career move you know, so it's interesting to see people in sort of our age bracket breaking out and sort of breaking that mold in some sense, just because I never had a constructive example of that growing up. Like, what do you think makes people want to do that, though? Like, like do you think it's a um, like an influence of the culture and how it like can kind of turn people one way or the other? like in favor or against it? Maybe for some people, I know speaking for myself, you know, writing and gravitating towards art is just something that I always did without kind of having an outside influence. Um, 
But I think the outside stressors has a lot to do with it because when I finally moved to Pittsburgh, I mean, I just was inundated with all of these external pressures, be it, you know, positive or negative. And it really kind of pushed me off in this direction. You know, when I moved here, it's like, oh, this is a thing that people do. You know, people, people make goes of this. Um, And it didn't take long to sort of undo the processing and the framework that had been kind of transplanted onto us as kids. Yeah. You know? Because it's like, it's a very different world living out there compared to living here. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we also live pretty close uh, close to each other. Yeah, like, you were like up. my closest neighbor yeah. a mile and a half down the road. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's how it is living out in the country in the middle of nowhere. Um, not really in the middle of nowhere. Well, kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of. Um, so, like, it's, it's very culturally different. It's very... Like, I just remember I had this sense of growing up, like, it's just, there's nothing to do, there's nowhere to go, what do I do with my time? Like, I don't really enjoy the things that most people out there do enjoy doing, like, you know, for, like, ATV riding, or um, hunting, or what else? Um, I can't even think of anything off the top of my head, you know drinking at bonfires or whatever mm-hmm. I don't know whatever the thing was that a lot of people did in, in high school but um, you know it. so I think that's how I kind of gravitated more towards the arts because it was like it was more of my my own getaway mm-hmm. and it was more like You know, I felt more at home doing it than anything else. And, like, I can kind of draw from... I don't know. I, I can't really remember when I, what, what it was that kind of made me move towards that. Mm. All I can think about is... I really like drawing. Growing up, so maybe it was drawing. I don't know. What was it for you? Was there one thing in particular that really... Uh... Again, I think it was just a combination of things. I yeah. I was and remain a very introverted person. Okay. Um, which is kind of easy to be growing up where we did because, again, there's so little activity that's going on around you. Right. It's kind of easy to just kind of isolate yourself, especially when you're young. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so I think I think that was I think that was a big part of it. Um, notwithstanding the fact, and it's going to sound like such a trope at this point, but you know, whenever I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, that's when book to movie adaptations were becoming really, really popular. Like that was like the golden age of, of, of Chris Columbus, Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was kind of cool. And, you know, I'm sort of one of those people who was like, yeah, I never would have gotten into reading if not for this particular series or no, what have you. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think one of the things that got really got me into reading was the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so, exactly. Because I was like super into when the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. I think it was two thousand one was when the first one came out. Mm-hmm. So I was eleven, and I went with one of my close friends in school to go see it, and I was just like blown away by it. 
and just like the the mass hysteria of it at the time and how like it just blew up and the movie was just like crazy and then like there was like the burger king toys and there was like <laughs> you know the burger king glasses they had like these gold glasses the goblets goblets yes, yes. <laughs> uh, i'm not the only one who i had a bunch of those and i don't know what happened i to still them. have one I still have one. I like the Gandalf and the Aragorn one. I really hope that they're at my parents' house because I have no idea. I had them for a while and then they just kind of disappeared. So yeah. I'm really hoping that they're still there somewhere. That's going to be your retirement fund. Yeah. You're going to dig those out. Exactly. And somebody's going to lose their mind over them. I think I lost the light up cases for them. Though. They make <sighs> those little plastic light up things. Oh, rookie mistake. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was just like, you know, when that just kind of blew up, I was just like, I was like, oh man, this is really cool. And I'm like, oh, it's based on a book. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the library and I'm going to start with like The Hobbit. And I'm going to read The Hobbit and then mm -hmm. I'm just going to like move on from there and just like get into that. And then I like started getting into other fantasy books. Like, what was it? Like, do you remember like Sword of Shannara? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I started reading like, like Terry Brooks stuff. Um, um, uh, Redwall, I think, is that the one with the animals? So the the, the mice, I think. Yeah, the mice. Yeah, yeah, like that kind of stuff. So I was like real into fantasy. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. So you were you in like mid like Harry Potter? Was that kind of like your start? That or? was that was the thing for me. Yeah, yeah. super into that. Um, and interestingly enough, I think the first thing my mom actually still has this at her house. Sort of the first thing that I ever wrote was like. A really awful like 18 page mini Harry Potter fanfic so I'm like 18 oh. years old writing or not 18 eight years old writing fanfic um oh, you like started the trend oh my gosh well so <laughs> so it took so long to get internet at my house I think I was 16 years old when we finally got dial-up so we mm -hmm. were super late to that game but it I, I think that was just the area because I remember I was like <laughs> early teens when we got dial up at my house because i think it just like, didn't reach out that far yeah yeah <laughs> and it's, it's so funny to even imagine that now yeah but it didn't take me long once we did have dial up for me to sort of gravitate i think that live journal was like the first thing that i really live journal that's what i was trying to think of on the last podcast that was before tumblr was a thing before tumblr was a thing so they had was, live journal it was live journal archive of our own like there were a bunch of these sort of little i went on GeoCities a lot. Yeah. GeoCities are like my jam. Yeah. Oh yeah. People and, making their own fan sites and stuff. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was so constructive. And I mean, for the most part, I mean, you got, I got really good feedback on yeah. on sites like that. You know, from people who were obviously older, more experienced writers, and it just, right. it taught me a lot about what to do, but it also taught me a lot about what not to do. Mm, okay. Um, you know, so I did a combination of just sort of general fanfic and real person fiction. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess in some way that good character studies because you'd have to sort of go through and do like these little niche research things. And it's like, oh, you know, this person gave this weird interview. Like, what is the context of that quote? And so, you know, we would build these giant elaborate backstories to just these little idiosyncrasies that happened. And so, okay. I mean, that was kind of the uh, that was kind of the introduction for me. Um, wow! I, the first okay. the first time I ever did an, a, a national novel writing month challenge was because I had been involved in these these fan fiction communities. Yeah. So, so my first NaNoWriMo oh, was really like, cool. yeah. 
Yeah, I never got into like those kind of communities like growing up. I think it was mostly that I just kind of did it. No, well, I the one friend that I uh, kind of did stuff with constantly. Um, we we drew together. We 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 started out actually drawing comics together. So we drew co- our own comic book series, and we would always critique each other and like kind of like. We were always very competitive about it, like trying to one-up each other on these like comic books that we were making. And then I think from there, we both kind of got into writing. Um, and so we were both like writing our own story ideas and like middle school and like fantasy ideas. And like we drew from like, because we were both like, we were both big gamers too, like into video games and stuff. So we drew a lot of stuff from like, like RPG video games that we would like play, um, like Final Fantasy and um, whatever was big at the time. But um, I just, I remember that and then I would like create ideas based on that. I would like kind of draw out concepts for those. So I wasn't really, it was more, uh, on a smaller scale, I would say. Like, cause I was just kind of bouncing ideas off of like one or two other people. Mm-hmm. and and we would just sort of like we would write these down on paper like we didn't even like use like type stuff up on like computers just yet or I don't know whatever. like writing on computers like didn't really like really kick off until I was in like high school um, when I was like actually like writing essays and stuff that was like kind of miserable for me but, <laughs> you know it was like I think it was not until I got into like my senior year of high school that it kind of clicked for me. Like I liked writing and I was always kind of praised for like being a pretty decent writer compared to, well, <laughs> the, the area that, I mean, you know, the, 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 I don't want to put down, you know, where we grew up. It was a beautiful place to grow up. It was a beautiful place to grow up. It, um, so the, the, um, the teacher I had my senior year of high school, like, uh, for some reason, like, just really hooked on to, like, my writing and, like, just, like, kind of pushed me to, like, go beyond, like, like what I normally do. His name was, he was only there for a couple of years, like, uh, at Berlin. Um, Mr. Beck is his name. Yeah. I remember him. You remember Mr. Beck? Yeah, I think that I used art art teacher. Was he art? No, he was a, he was a English teacher. It was English. Okay. Yeah. I think that I might have had him like for one class in eighth grade, and then I think. Yeah, I think he mostly taught high school, but um, and maybe he did some other classes too. But he, um, yeah, he was there for a little while, and he was like kind of like a big influence for me. So it was like it was like people like that was kind of like weird high sort of drew from so I, I feel like we can relate in that kind of sense where it's like you're drawing from a community of like you know like-minded individuals you know so it it feels like you know maybe that's where a lot of people I mean there, there are a lot of writing communities out there so it's like you know to really get your start there it's like it's very helpful to kind of like to grow that spark you know um so like where where did you take it from there then? Like Um I mean 
it sort of grew. I, I mean, in my late teens, I started getting some more, some heavier life experiences. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd been kind of insulated before that. I'd say up until about the time that I was 16, I was basically just drawing strictly off of these scenarios from these communities and whatnot and writing sort of speculatively about things. Um, but then I started to accumulate, it, it sounds really funny to say, you know, I was 17 and I started getting real world experiences. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, that's really kind of what changed it. I mean, from there, it kind of went from being, you know, this sort of fun thing to a thing that I kind of had to do um, as like a like a therapeutic type of situation. Yeah. Um, and I got into, you know, I did a little bit of high school newspaper stuff, but, you know, I went to college and did the, the journalism route. Um, I minored in English, minored in religious studies. So you've got... Uh, and you know majored in history so you've got all these really kind of interesting threads coming together there was no shortage of inspiration um but to be honest i kind of stepped away from it whenever i started going to duquesne for my master's degree it just it just was not equipped to kind of make that adjustment okay and so the writing really went by the wayside and it really wasn't i got really far away from it for a very long time yeah and you know you you get like a real job out of college and you're just like oh you know, I guess this kind of is just the thing that I do for fun on the weekends, you know. But I was fortunate my last semester at Duquesne, I actually started um, hanging out with people at the music school because the music school was right next door to my building. Oh, yeah. And a couple of the professors there were jazz musicians. Uh, um, and, you know, I sort of, there was this club in Pittsburgh for a long time called James Street. It was in the North Shore. Um had really kind of awful pub food, but it was really well known and had opened and closed many times and some really famous people had played there and whatnot. But I walked into a jam session because a couple of friends of mine wanted to play. And the guy who was running it was an instructor at Duquesne. And I erroneously walked up to him and said, oh, what do you do when you're not here? You know, as if this wasn't a feasible job that a person has. Um, but falling into that community of these people who kind of make the hustle work creatively and that sustains them financially and emotionally that kind of pushed me back into it okay yeah um so i was very very lucky because i you know had the situation gone differently it again would have just been something that i'm doing on the weekends but being around creative people really kind of just drew that out of me and i think that if you're somebody who is really interested in the art that you do you sort of subconsciously find these types of people Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know that I really don't go out looking for creative types, but I just sort of seem to just magnetize to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's relatable in such a, you know, a lot of ways, honestly. And so would you say like, it's like, it's like that, that idea of, you know, people can do what they love and make a living off of it. That was like what really kind of pushed you towards that. Um, I think so. You know, this, this person who kind of got me into the music scene here in Pittsburgh, he said something to me that I'll never forget, you know, well, two things, two really important lessons. The first thing that he told me was if you find something that you love, if you love it every day, it's going to love you back and it will never let you down. Mm. Um, I like that. It's, it's just, just, I'll never forget it. Never yeah. forget it. 
And the other thing that he passed on to me was something that one of his teachers had told him whenever he was about my age. And this teacher had said to him, you know, what is your dream? What's your goal? And what did you do to get in the way of it today? You know, so all of these sort of obstacles that we create from within, because these outside pressures don't really exist. It's all sort of internal. Yeah. Um, but just kind of, just kind of overcoming that and, you know, getting all of the extra stuff out of the way and having that sort of unfettered relationship loving relationship with the art that you create is kind of the base of everything. So how do you do that? How do you find the time to really do, you know, because more times than none, life can get in the way in ways that you kind of don't want it to. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, how do you take, so you have, you know, you have 24 hours in a day. You know, how do you find the time to really dedicate it to what you want? I think that my mindset on this has changed so much. You know, the stuff that I'm writing about now and the work that I'm doing right now is something I'm so enthusiastic about that it's not hard for me to look at it and think to myself, okay, this is the stuff that breathes life. Yeah. This is this is the stuff that really matters. And so my mindset has changed where it's like, okay, this is the thing and you kind of have to build everything else around it. So, you know, I have a full time job on top of doing the writing stuff. Yeah. And so the focus has shifted just enough where it's like, okay, that's just the extra thing that I do. Like the full time job is the extracurricular. Um so and I mean, you know, logistically sometimes you know you stay up late you get up early you know sometimes you miss meals and you know because you just don't think about it and stuff like that but um you know it's not really something that i have to think about anymore which sounds very pretentious and unfortunately is not very good advice you know <laughs> i've never been a person who was like yeah i have a steady writing routine i get up early and i write 500 words before i go to work um right you know it's hard for me to imagine something so rigid because i carry pen and paper with me everywhere. I take my work with me everywhere. And, right. you know, every free moment that I have, you know, that's, I don't even have to think about it. It just sort of is something that I find myself doing. I'm not even aware that I'm doing it sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you kind of just have to love what you do and it's just, it's not work at that point. It's just, you know, yeah. it, it feels like a way to release, you know, to, to, to get away and to sort of get into this this place that you know you find true happiness at least that's what I I think of it mm. in a way it's just like for me it's like it's a it's a play space almost in my mind and, and You know, in, in all the, because uh, I have, I have the same thing. I have a, you know, I have a day job that I do, and then I just kind of like I do all this other stuff on the sides. I do the filmmaking, I do the writing. I just I have all sides of kind of the projects. This podcast itself is like a project that I do, but um, yeah, for me, it's just like I don't know, because because everyone thinks different. So it's interesting to to like, kind of hear how how you do it, because everyone kind of has their own routine. Like some people do that kind of thing where they get it up early in the morning and like, you know, they get into the routine of things and I, I don't know how they do that. 
<laughs> Sometimes I wish it was a little bit more like that. Um, but I don't know. The, the the chaotic principle in my life, I think, is the thing that kind of yeah. I mean, keeps you adaptable. Um, I think the hardest thing for me is, although I am so in love with what I do, I have to work really hard to keep in mind that it's not who I am. You know, because you, you tie up so much of your identity in that. And, you know, as artistic people... Um, I think it was Erica Badu that said, you know, I'm an artist and I'm really sensitive about my shit. Um, and so, you know, taking criticism and taking that to heart is really important, but not combining all of your self-worth up in that is something I have a really difficult time with. And that's the thing that I sort of have to work at most actively. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on procrastination lately because that's not something I like to do, but it's something I find myself doing more of lately. Oh yeah. Procrastination. It's... Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I never used to think of myself as a person who did my best creative work at the last minute like that. Um, but I'm sort of finding myself becoming that. <laughs> I don't it's know. amazing what your mind, where your mind can go when you're under pressure, mm-hmm. honestly. I, I don't like doing that either, but I end up finding myself in those situations where I'm just like, it's crunch time and I gotta get, like, I have a deadline, like, right now that I need to hit. And then your mind just kicks it into overdrive. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know, like, how. It's like you just pull, like, this, like, this resource out of nowhere. All of a sudden you have it at your disposal and you find you, you know, you're generating ideas and thoughts that you never thought possible any other time. Yeah. I think, um, I think that it's kind of a part and parcel of somebody once put it to me, you know, if you start to put your eggs in this freelance writing basket, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you have to think really creatively about how you get work and how you market yourself. Um, and so it's rarely comfortable but I feel like I grow so much better. You know, if I put myself in a situation, be it, you know, time-wise or financially speaking, where it's like, okay, you have to do this or you're not going to make any money or you have to do this or your client is never going to hire you again. You know, it pushes you to do these things and you just... Yeah, that's true. You just grow from being uncomfortable, you know? So I don't think that I really felt that way about it until somebody put it put that idea in my head where it's like, okay, you can become adaptable and you can measure your growth and your progress in certain ways that you can't, if you don't take yourself to those really sort of dire places. So how do you distinguish like that, that business aspect of it, you know, when you have those kinds of constraints that are more of the business side of things, as opposed to, um, you know, your creative inspiration. Like, how do you, you know, because you, you want, oh, I don't want to put this. Like, you you want to, you know, you want to let that, that, that sort of, the, 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 that pressure, like, push you in that direction. But at the same time, you also want to sort of have your own, your own drive. Mm. Like, you know, something that is self-generated. Right. Right. Um, I think that, I I mean, I got very lucky whenever I first started doing this because the focus that I chose, I work pretty strictly with artists, um, with 
you know, I provide writing services to artists. Most of the people I work with are musicians. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm lucky in so far as the type of work that I'm doing and the types of projects that I'm helping these artists with is something that I'm interested enough in that I get excited about it and it pushes me to be a, a little bit more proactive. Okay. Um, so, and, and that, I didn't really imagine that being the case when I started off. Yeah. Um, all of this really sort of began because a friend of mine wanted to make a sophomore record. You know, his debut record was this really ambitious double concept album, um, 36 musicians deep. It's the type of project that nobody in their right mind would ever make and probably never will make again. Um, he says as much that his any of his subsequent records are not going to be anything like that. But he had undergone a lot of these really intense emotional traumas in the past year and a half. Mm. And he said, you know, I want to make a record. You know, I want to document this. I want to create this platform of healing for other people. Um, making records can be really expensive. And so, you know, he was like, you know, this would be a great thing to do, but I just don't have the money for it. And Pittsburgh is really well renowned for having, um, some really great funding opportunities. There's a lot of donor monies that are accessible if you kind of know where to look. And so I said to him, I said, you know, let me write you a grant. Let me, let me do this for you. I just want to try this. You know, I've never yeah. done it before. I uh, let's just see what happens. You won't even have to worry about it. Like just put it out of your mind, deal with your traumas and just let me see what sticks. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. So we applied for a grant with the Heinz endowments. And it was an investing in professional artist grant. It was $10,000 and, you know, there's sort of scales in between. And so I checked a book out of the library and just basically filled out this grant step by step. I spent a lot of time researching the organization and stuff like that. And so we didn't think that we would get anything, let alone kind of the big, the big award. Um, and we got word back a couple of months later that we'd received funding. A couple of months after that, we received word that it was the full 10000 that we had wow. lobbied for. That's awesome. Um, so that was, you know, there was a lot of upward momentum with something like that. It was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And he came back and said, you know, I know you sort of did this for me, but, you know, have you ever thought about doing this for other people? Because this is a really valuable service. And so I thought, oh, you know, like, yeah, that's cool. You know, maybe I'll go out and write some grants for some musicians. Maybe I'll do liner notes for them, whatever, you know, maybe it'll just be like a cool side project to do. Um, and it sort of took off at a rate that I really wasn't expecting. Um, so my freelance life is a very interesting combination of being proactive and being really passionate about these projects and also being sort of overwhelmed by deadlines to the point where I sort of find myself fluctuating violently between being proactive and procrastinating until the very last minute with things. <laughs> so it's, it's a tumultuous place to live sometimes. Yeah, it can definitely, at least from my experiences in freelance, like almost seem overwhelming at times, but also sort of exhilarating to sort of experience that um you know that, that that drive and that passion and the um you know that constant need to just fulfill so many different roles and you know knowing that you know this is this is something that's going to go in the hands of, you know, others. And it's going to, in one way or another, 
you know, influence other individuals. I think that's something for me that really you know, helps me to drive that album. I mean, I do a lot of this, you know, like freelance work or writing or anything like that. I do, you know, it's a self-fulfillment, but it's also like, I also enjoy the, 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 the sense that, you know, this is something that I can also, you know, hopefully give to other people so that they can, you know, find, you know, find their voice, you know, mm-hmm. or find the, or, or in, um, or to help inform or to help, you know, persuade or whatever it is. Um, you know, such as I'm sure, uh, you know, grant writing is probably a lot of a lot of persuasion oh, in that sense. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, that's cool that you know you kind of fell into that, and then so you're just kind of you know using that. Are, are you using that as like a business model to sort of promote yourself and like to help others? Um. Yeah. It's a it's a unique combination. So. Um, that's kind of the backbone of it. And a lot of the work that I'm doing right now is sort of affiliated with funding opportunities, um, doing a couple of press releases and stuff. Um, I'm actually working with, um, Con Alma, that club I was telling you a little bit about. Um, I'm doing promotions for them because, you know, it's this great restaurant, it's this great club, but on the marketing side of things, people really don't necessarily understand what the art form itself is about. Um... And I take informing the public about what this art form is very seriously. I think it's a very underappreciated but very um, important cultural contribution that really kind of flies under the radar. Mm -hmm. So there's part of me that feels politically moved to do a lot of this stuff. Um, But also, you know, just the enthusiasm that I have for what I do seems to really kind of speak louder than my track record and my business savvy or lack thereof. (laughs) Um, because I mean, I do, I do a lot of record reviews. I do live reviews, you know, I try to be present and, you know, that's sort of the thing that people remember more so than, oh, this person, you know, the, the grant writing side of it is sort of a secondary thought. It's like, wow, this person is, is really striving to get hip, but she also does this thing. So that's, so that's cool. You know? Yeah. So there's more of like... Yeah, so you have also do like more of like the the personal like like stuff doing like pa- passion projects and you know things that it really um, you know that, things that also interest you as well and and then how do you um, how do you like where do you where do you find those outlets to sort of display those passions like where who who like what's the process for you like where from start to finish where does it like where does it come from and then where does it go a lot of it is building relationships which is kind of ironic for somebody who is as introverted as i am um and i don't even view it as networking a lot of people be like oh it's a networking opportunity i don't like that word and if somebody were to say you know are you good at networking i would say absolutely not 
Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, really just building the personal relationships with people and, you know, building a relationship with the content, building a relationship with performers um, is kind of where all of that starts. Um, the community that I'm part of is so small. Um, it's really kind of impossible for me to go to a different city and not find somebody I have mutual friends with in the music community. Okay. Um, so I guess in that sense, the networking side of things kind of takes care of itself because people talk because it is so small, you oh, know? Yeah. So a lot of it's word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, use a couple of online platforms. The main sort of jazz publication that I'm writing for right now is called All About Jazz. Okay. Um, a lot of the interview opportunities and live performance reviews that I've written have basically come from sort of the editorial staff there. Um, and there've been a lot of really unique opportunities. I mean, it's an unpaid thing, but the experience that I've derived from it has been just truly, I mean, truly invaluable to me. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of one of the highlights of my professional career, quote unquote, which was an unpaid opportunity. Um, I got to go down to Baltimore to go check out um, a really amazing club there called Keystone Corner. And I got to interview a piano player from South Africa named Abdullah Ibrahim, who has been a really big hero of mine since I started getting into the music. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And I mean, it was just not only really fulfilling as somebody who identifies as a jazz writer, but it just was very spiritually fulfilling because he's a deep dude. He's a really deep dude. <laughs> um, you know, so, so that's, that kind of takes care of itself too. I mean, it's a free platform, but I get a lot of traffic from that as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're doing what you love, but you're also building, building yourself up in a sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the portfolio has grown significantly in the past year, you know, just from, just from speaking passionately about people who are as authentic and genuine about it as, as I am. Hopefully. Yeah. Where do you think, like, like, let's, let's talk about the, 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 the jazz part of things. Like, let's kind of break that down. So, like, based on, um, the, you know, your experiences. So you kind of got into that when you were, you said you were in college and, or. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um. I came to it really late. Um, unfortunately, you know, I've always been really interested in music and it's one of those things that for me, it's really easy for me to go down rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, so whenever I first experienced it, the thing that really struck me about it was I'd never seen an art form that was so publicly vulnerable before. Um, seeing it on a live setting for the very first time that I was exposed to it really helped. Okay. But I walked into this basement and, you know, it's this speakeasy in the north side and there's a whole vibe. There's candles. So like that, there's something to be said. I mean, you know, the power of setting a scene. Um, but, you know, it was just these middle-aged guys on stage, you know, playing this music. And it wasn't even necessarily what they were playing. I mean, it sounded very nice, but you could just tell that they were really trusting of the audience that was sitting in front of them um, and basically saying like, Hey audience, here's my narrative. Here's my story. I'm trusting you to receive this in some capacity. 
Um, and there's this interesting reciprocal relationship that, that happens with the ten of audiences because this audience is taking this message, is interpreting it, and sort of transmitting it back in their own personal way. So it was really interesting because I walked down there and it's like I've never seen I've never seen such unspoken vulnerability between people before that's really not being shrouded in any type of facade or anything. I mean, it was very uncontrived. Um, and it was very, I, I was very taken aback. And so that resonated with me. Okay. Um, and, you know, there are so many people in the community who are knowledgeable about the history and the tradition of this music. And they very quickly could see that I was enthusiastic about what I was hearing. And so they made sure to kind of get a hold of me quickly just to be like, hey, you know, here's, here's the framework. Here's the historical precedent for all of this. So it just checked all of the right boxes for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can start to see how this music is so much a part of everyday life, you know, not even, not even musically speaking, but I mean, cultural references to these musicians and, you know, the images and the icons. Um, it's so pervasive in everyday culture. And so getting hip to this is like, okay, I'm understanding a deeper level. Um, and this music is very, um, you know, it's very political in nature. It's very social in nature. Um, there's a lot of history behind it. Um, so it sort of opened up these new doors. It's like, okay, now I'm starting to see what is happening around me. I'm seeing historical precedent for these sort of social relations because of this music, which sounds, you know, it sounds crazy, but it sort of is kind of unlocking the key to a lot of, you know, a lot of history that's been sort of forgotten. Yeah, so it's a very, yeah, it sounds like it's very intimate, it's very cultural, it's very, um, yeah, it, it's just, a, it sounds like a very personal, or, or it, it can be a very personal experience from the way it sounds. Yeah. Um, what would be, like, so let's say, because you said it's it's kind of a very, like, a, a sort of more a smaller group of individuals that are part of this community, what would be say what would be your way to sort of spread the word about this to sort of get the message out there to spread this 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 culture this intimacy with with others a big part of it is is person-to-person -person interaction yeah um because you know i think the thing that is really key especially for young people is experiencing this music live like i did for the first time because I could put on, you know, I could put on a recording right now and you'd be like, oh, you know, that's cool. You know, it sounds like they're doing some cool stuff. You know, they're going to some cool places. But so much is missing. You know, even if you listen to a live recording, there's so much that's missing because it is so contingent upon relationships and you're sort of operating in a void otherwise. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, basic, I mean, cost-benefit analysis isn't fantastic, but kind of, you know, just saying, you know, hey, come out with me. You know, come to come to the club with me. Yeah. Um, because it can be really intimidating for people who really aren't accustomed to it. Right. It's... You you kind of come to it when you're supposed to and when you're meant to and when you need it most. Yeah. Because it won't always, you know, if you come to it too early, it's like, okay, I don't have experiences to, to rationalize this with. Um, so it's all just about kind of speaking enthusiastically about it with people um 
And things like Instagram are super cool because, you know, you can, you can, you know, live record stuff and, you know, that's interesting and people can sort of have this visual aspect to it because so many people, when they go to quote unquote, listen to music are still so visually motivated. Right. Um, and, you know, kind of the interesting thing about jazz more so than a lot of other types of music is there isn't necessarily that visual performative aspect to it. There can be, but there isn't always. Um, and so I think that because it doesn't have that visual performative aspect, it's sort of one less obstacle between people and this really kind of, you know, emotional thing, you know, so yeah. there really aren't buffers. Okay. And so it can be really, it can be really intimidating, but definitely person to person communication, intentional communication, and just being there in person is, is kind of the big things that I have found. Yeah. Um, and the amazing thing about Pittsburgh that is very different from other cities, everything here is free. I mean, you can go hear this music seven nights a week. You know, there are over 60 or 70 jazz related events happening in Pittsburgh every week. Most of them are free. So it's really easy to tell people like, hey, come have a hang with me. Come have a drink with me. There's no cover charge. You know, we can go hear this killing band, get some bitchin' food, and not have to pay a cover charge. I mean, you can't go other places and experience something like that. So, kind of lucky, geographically speaking. Yeah. Like, I, being an outsider and kind of looking in at this, I would probably, or I am, actually, I'm kind of intimidated by it because I, I, don't, I don't really know what to expect. I mean, it's it's... it's it would be for anything for like uh, that I'm not accustomed to that I just you know it's like taking that first step into you know new territory mm. and so like if you know since I am a person who is not used to this sort of environment this sort of culture this experience like what how like, how can you convince me to sort of try it out for the first time? I think, so you and I were talking about sort of prog rock, prog metal before yeah. we kind of started recording. Yeah. And the genre is so diverse. A lot of what is sort of identified as jazz, if the average listener was hearing it, they'd be like, um, no, that's not that's not what I think of. Like, most people think of like, you know, they think of Sinatra or they think of bebop or they think of these really kind of straight ahead things. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a person who's super into classic rock, I could be like, oh, yeah, you know, Frank Zappa toured with this guy named George Duke. George Duke is a is a jazz musician. Oh, you know, he played yeah. with Cannonball Adderley. So, like, I'm lucky because I kind of came into the genre with sort of outside knowledge of, of these other genres. I was a huge classic rock, prog rock fan whenever I was a kid. Right. And so... By having these conversations with you and finding out what it is that you do like, I'm sort of aware enough of what's happening in the jazz scene where I can be like, oh, you like this? Well, maybe maybe try this. It's a little bit different. Like, mm, okay. you know, yeah. especially for people like us where it's like, oh, you're like super into fantasy, but also like crazy electric rock. Here, here's Return to Forever by Chick Corea. Everything sounds like a Sonic the Hedgehog soundtrack, but it's amazing. <laughs> So it's just kind of just kind of finding the connections, and there yeah. are a lot more than most people would suspect. I think. Yeah, um, I listen to the, uh, well, I've I've listened to some bands that have jazz influence in them. Um, 
like a lot of progressive is like influenced by other genres mm -hmm. so like i guess that in a sense that would be like my in for that sort of thing um like have you ever heard of the band um like uh, well it used to be called the reign of kendo i don't think so they're, I think they're heavily influenced by like jazz and like other things, but it, it's it's a very interesting like mix of what they do. Mm. Um, I've, I've seen them play live and they're amazing. But that's awesome. um, yeah, that's like one of those bands where I mean, I could say like they they are sort of like you know certain genres or certain music is sort of like, like a gateway into other things mm -hmm. and that's like one of those things that really it sort of made me look into because they're they're also sort of progressive too so like it made me but they're softer they're like not like a progressive metal progressive rock they're like a softer sounding mm -hmm. most of the time and it made me like kind of explore other genres in a way yeah so Yes, yeah. like, like I definitely can understand that that there's 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 connections there mm -hmm. musically, um, and then for anyone who, let's say, or well, let's say that okay, um, let's say I'm a history buff. Like I really like history. You mentioned there's there's a lot of history behind jazz. So like how how would that, you know influence like what what would i what would you use to influence me to you know kind of be get into that more that side of things so it's it would be really easy in a city like pittsburgh because a lot of people really don't know how historically important it is in terms of this music um pittsburgh's sort of a convenient halfway point between chicago and new york right so all of these people that we associate as being sort of iconic giants, so people like Ellington and people like Louis Armstrong were making these runs back and forth, and they'd stop in Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, and, I mean, big names in the scene, people who sort of redefined the genre, were born here. Um, a lot of them were born in Pittsburgh's Hill District, which has a very complex history for anybody who has lived in this city long enough. Um, so you get sort of this different view of black history in particular yeah um you know and it really kind of just and it's a tradition that expands really far back i mean the roots of jazz are basically founded in sort of you know the freedman's tradition in combination with european classical music um so you have these elements from from africa these ancient elements in terms of rhythm and instrumentation and whatnot right being combined with these sort of 17th and 18th century European classical elements. So it's interesting once you start sort of taking a, an ethnomusicological view of all of it, because it's like, wow, you know, I can sort of start to grasp at where these threads are. And you can see how, okay, this Kamasi Washington made this album in 2018, but I can see the roots. You can see these ancient African roots in it, but I can also sort of see these, these classical roots, but he's taking a film soundtrack from a film that was made in the 1960s. So you see all of these sort of weird connections being made. Um, and like I said, Pittsburgh's kind of the perfect place to kind of get into that if you are interested in history because just so many roots. Um, 
you know, a lot of these people are actually still alive. We're very lucky here because a lot of these legends who were sort of coming of age in the 1960s, some of them are still around. Um, yeah. And so an interesting Pittsburgh connection for people who grew up and kids who grew up in and around Pittsburgh. Um, Mr. Rogers neighborhood is obviously huge right. in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, the gentleman who played handyman Negri is a guy named Joe Negri who is a very talented guitar player who has seen a lot of history and lived a lot of history. He's still alive. He's in his early 90s. You can go out and catch him performing places. He used to have a regular gig at the Omni William Penn Hotel downtown. Um, So, I mean, he's he's still here. You know, guys who have played with people like Erica Badu, you know, they're, they're here. You know, so it's just kind of a matter of going out and finding them. And the stories that you hear just kind of puts things into better perspective. And it fits things into the bigger picture, especially in terms of race history and minority history and whatnot. Right. And that's, yeah, that's, that's very important because, you know, especially in, you know, times like these, it's hard to like, you know, it's easy for some people to forget, you know, where we how, where we come from and how far we've come as a you know as a community like you know and the, the struggles that you know, certain individuals had to go through you know in you know in previous decades and I feel like that's a great reminder of you know the big picture and what what is important about community and likeness and and just the the melding of cultures and you know understanding each other as a whole so like that's that's kind of what i take from that and that's that's i feel like that that's definitely like something like jazz like would be you know an important piece to that and like what it, what would be your your takeaway from it like what what what's something that you you find to be you know the thing that's influenced you the most from it i think kind of the thing that you're hitting on that culture of empathy that mm-hmm. sort of comes from interacting with music from the past practitioners of it now writers of it now um, and also just kind of, for me anyway, what seems to be kind of inherent spirituality of all of it. I'm not a religious person and don't ever really consider myself to be a very spiritual person either. But something about this music, I think probably because it doesn't necessarily have to have lyrical content to it, really kind of speaks to me in a really profound way and it allows me to kind of interpret it. Um, so I, you know, I moved to these really sort of valid, powerful emotions because of it. So that in conjunction with the fact that I'm really kind of tapping into some sort of higher level of empathy really just kind of makes it an overwhelming force in my life. Um, and it, it kind of, it's hard because it takes it beyond something that I enjoy to something that is necessary for me to kind of get through a day. Yeah. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about it and people who are sort of on that same, same wavelength, it's inexplicable, but it's definitely there. 
it does kind of make me feel alienated sometimes because to try and explain it to people who are like, oh, like this is, this sounds nice, you know, like it doesn't have to be this really heavy thing, but my reasons for listening and participating in and consuming this music goes sort of beyond just basic enjoyment. Yeah. Which doesn't make it a more valid experience or an invalid experience, what have you. But those are just kind of, you know, it's, it's made me more self-aware by being largely more aware of the bigger picture as well. Yeah. And how would you explain it, like, if, from somebody who's not, like, they, they want to understand, you know, the meaning behind this this music they, they want to understand the true meaning the 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 underlying message or the takeaway from it you know that's not there from just just listening to the song just listening to you know, like you're, you're you're driving in your car and you're just listening to it like how do how do you break that down for someone who might not see that? I would suggest that people be a little bit more comfortable with silence because there's a lot of introspection that happens in silence. So if you're just sort of taking something in, if you're taking this music in and you don't have any expectations of it, going in without expectations is really, really important. Um, and it's interesting because that's something that translates really well to personal relationships too. Um, just sort of going in, not having expectations on the music, not having expectations on yourself, and just sort of allowing yourself to have this somewhat meditative experience. Yeah. Um, thinking of it as something good that you do for yourself. You know, if you're in a car and you're listening to music, like you said, you know, it's just sort of, maybe it's a thing you do to kind of stay awake. Maybe it's just something you know we're fundamentally uncomfortable with silence and we're fundamentally uncomfortable with this sort of very public introspection. Um, you know, kind of the way that I would encourage people is, you know, this is, it is a safe space. The community members who are really into it, get it. And they don't expect anything from you. They're not putting pressure on you to feel a certain way. They don't expect you to have this sort of religious experience, you know, and understand that it is something that you do for yourself and it is inherently selfish and selfless. So if you think of it as a good thing that you do for you, it kind of, you know, just kind of changing the slant just a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure like everyone's going to find something of their own in it. Like it's not just one defining trait that is going to be the takeaway right. is that is that right right that, okay and so each of us through our own experiences i would think are going to find something that you know, some value that is different from any other individual yeah absolutely and it's interesting to revisit certain things I know when I first started listening, you know, it's kind of a gradual thing. I think a lot of people just sort of start off thinking, oh, you know, I like the sound of that. That's a weird synthesizer. I like the way that that sounds in my ear, and, yeah. which is a totally valid experience. There's a lot of really technical, amazing things that happen. But 
I have found that there were things that I listened to when I first started trying to get hip that didn't make any sense to me then. It just was like, this is so far beyond me. I can't enjoy this. And now I go back and revisit some things. And because of the experiences that I've accumulated between then and now, it's like, oh, this, this makes sense to me. This is really profound now. Hmm. And it is sort of this weird organic thing where some days I wake up and it's like I might have hated this particular artist or hated this particular record forever. And then just wake up one day and it's like, oh, I get it now. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a gift you can keep giving yourself because it doesn't have to mean the same thing every time. And that's kind of the amazing thing about listening to music that doesn't have lyrics. And you know, as somebody who's interested in instrumental music, I'm sure you get this. You don't have people dogmatically telling you what to think. They aren't building the story for you. It gives you so much freedom, yeah. you know. And I think for artistic people, it's like, okay, I have this soundscape to play with. I can create whatever narrative I want. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very, you, know, you sort of create almost your own soundtrack from, from the music, like, especially if it's instrumental. Like, I, I create, kind of define my own soundtrack from it, like, like a, like, say it's like a movie soundtrack, something mm -hmm. like that, like, I, I visualize how this play, this music plays into like a scene from a movie. I mean, I'm also like kind of a movie guy too. So I, I sort of make that correlation to it. You know, what sort of visuals um, would, would this music impact? Mm. What kind of drama, what kind of emotion would it invoke visually? And I kind of pull from that sort of experience personally. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting. It's interesting for me to see how, how each, each individual, you know, whoever is listening to it takes away from it. It's, it's almost the same as kind of going back onto writing, like the, the big message or the, the message that, any sort of writing provides. I mean, there, there are different types of writing. There are different reasons that we use these different types of writing, um, but they all have a message that each person will interpret differently, I think. Um, so how do you, like in your creative process, how do you make it so that people are hearing the right message? I think that emphasizing that there is no right or wrong message is right. the right message. Okay. I think that a lot of the reason that I do what I do, I think the reason that a lot of artists do what they do is to sort of empower the people that art comes into contact with. So really the, the only thing that I am trying to achieve with what I do, and this is very subconscious. I never kind of sit down at my computer or my paper and think, you know what, I'm going to empower the hell out of somebody today, <laughs> but you know, just letting people know that there is sort of this extra level of emotional interaction that seems to be largely absent from this sort of money obsessed society that we're part of, you know, there, there is more to it than that. And, 
you know, encountering art can be the breath of life. Right. You know, and, and just letting people know that that's okay. You know, a lot of the writing I do is not super technical. It's pretty accessible for most people. Yeah. And it's all about just kind of putting the ideas in front of people, you know, and kind of the interesting thing that I've learned about jazz writing is one of the big cardinal rules is you shouldn't, you shouldn't tell people how they should feel about something. You shouldn't be like, oh, you know, when I hear this, this is what I imagine. You know, it's not about you. Um, so even though you have this deeply personal relationship that you're sort of remarking upon, you divorce yourself so much from that whenever you're making content that is distributed to other people. Mm. It's like saying, you know, I'm just putting this in front of you. I'm letting you have the space to be what you want to be in relationship to this thing. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you're drawing from personal experiences, but you also want to, to separate yourself from it enough that people can draw from their own experiences. Yeah. I think coming from sort of a, a fictional background, I think that it's easier for me to say, you know, here's the situation and kind of write it in a way that makes people think, Oh man, like I wish that I had been there, you know? And, and from that, they sort of put themselves in that place. They can sort of readily imagine themselves in a place like that. So that's, it's really what I try to do is to craft scenarios in which people can sort of see themselves or conversely, they can certainly not see themselves. It's like, okay, that's a different level of introspection. You've learned something about yourself. Now, let me, let me pose a challenge to you. That. Do it. <laughs> what if someone takes your idea and just, for one reason or another, interprets it in a way that is socially harmful what what would you do in that scenario then like because like you said any idea you know it, it's it, it can be based on a personal experience but you 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 keep it you know vague enough so that people can pull draw from it in their own way so what if it's if they draw negative energy from it they're, draw, they're drawing something that is, you know, dark and brooding and what, what, what kind of, like, how do you, how do you really combat that situation? Mm. I know it's a tough one. It is, it is hard because I've, I've never been in a situation where the stakes have been that high. I mean, I used to joke with people whenever I was just, you know, just going through college and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a history major. Like I'm not ever going to kill anybody in my profession. Yeah. Um, unfortunately in, in, in kind of the, the day and age that we live in, um, it's history and narrative is being weaponized in yeah. a pretty perturbing way. Um, you know, I'm not sure how responsible a writer should be or any type of artist should be once work kind of leaves. Right. 
you know, I mean, that's a question that has sort of interesting historical roots as well, you know, do violent films and violent music lead people to do violent things and whatnot. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of a hot topic now. A, yeah, Again, video games and video games violence. And violence and that's all going. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like violence and media, you know, has existed. And this was a discussion I had in the last episode of the podcast where we had um, was violence in media has existed for you know, since the beginning of time. Oh, absolutely. Or the influence of it. Or since the beginning of you know, the age of storytelling, the age of writing, the age of you know, communicating these, these tales that can invoke this sort of these sort of ideas mm. and that can also be you know they can be positive ideas or they can be positive influences but at the same time they can invoke negative thoughts negative emotions and that could be at least from my perspective can be said true for any sort of medium mm. in a sense so yeah, I mean that's a, that's a very good, res like that's a very interesting response, and to sort of that idea is like how responsible should you be with you know, this this idea that you're just throwing out there into the ether, right? Hmm. And it's it's also interesting because it's going to sound like I'm dancing around the question, but you know. Um, very few ideas are original in nature. Yeah. So it's like how much responsibility can you truly, you know, allot to a single person or yeah. a single oh, absolutely. creator? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think it's going to take a big communal effort. If something that I write invokes the sort of strange abstract response or maybe perfectly justified response, um, you know, it's, it's not one person's job to kind of circumvent that or deal with that. If something that I write makes somebody that angry, there are other sort of situations that we have to look at because that kind of response would be symptomatic of something. It wouldn't really be yeah. the sickness in and of itself. I mean, a lot of it is, has to do with psychology and sort of the human mind and how it works. And um, <clears throat> so would you say that, you know, if, if you were to say, or if you were to hear the term like history repeats itself, you know, is, is that true because of this, you know, that everyone is just going to kind of interpret their own ideas and that, you know, the, the positive, you know, everyone's going to take their own message from it, positive or negative. And it's just sort of kind of like, are, are we doomed to be in a cycle where it's, you know, we're, we're never going to really live in an ideal world? 
This is a this is a question that I always like to ask my my students um, on their finals. Yeah. It's interesting to see the responses. I think um, just kind of going back to that idea that no action or thought is truly original. Um, you know, I think we sort of are kind of doomed to repeat these phases because in part, a lot of these issues are not being dealt with. Okay. Um, whether or not we actually have the resources to deal with a lot of these issues is another matter entirely. It's an important point worth considering. Hmm. But, yeah, don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, I think there are... I mean, honestly, it's very open-ended, so um, there probably isn't really a right answer to it. We're going to figure out the answers to all of these questions here tonight, <laughs> Stephen. We're going to solve the world's, all of the world's problems. Yep, it's going to happen right Unless here in Southside. In the tiny room in a row house. Exactly. What is the meaning of life? <laughs> I'm having a stroke not saying 42 right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can't say that. 42. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're fantasy freaks and fan yeah. fiction writers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the only reasonable response. Speaking of books and reading, what's on your current... Uh, What's on your current, uh, I guess it's not really summer reading anymore. It's like fall-ish, but it's still Autumnal like, reading. It feels like, <laughs> it feels like summer outside. But, um, what's on your reading list? So, on my bookshelf right now, I have, I'm a huge J.D. Salinger fan. Okay. Love J.D. Salinger. Um, and I'm currently reading Seymour and Introduction, um, mm. which is not necessarily a super common pick a lot of people just kind of affiliate salinger with catcher in the rye and franny yeah. and zooey and whatnot um seymour and introduction is one of my favorite stories so digging back into that that's one of those things that i reread about the same time every year just to kind of revisit and see how it makes me feel um i'm reading quest loves creative quest oh, okay. which is awesome i highly recommend that to any creative type or anybody who's sort of trying to maybe explore it a little bit more quest love is tight you should get the audiobook if you uh, are able to and i am sort of flipping through miles davis's autobiography which is stranger than any fictional book that i have ever read yeah um, any musical person you've ever heard of anywhere, cross-genre, is likely to come up in this book. It's very, very interesting. Um, again, something I like to kind of revisit. It's a little too long to kind of read from front to back. Um, but those are sort of the, uh, the big things on my list right now. Very cool. What's on your, what's on your reading list, Stephen? What are you reading? Um, so I'm... Still trying to get through the first book in the Expanse series, which is science fiction uh, series. Um, they actually started because I I read a lot of stuff that's based on, or well, I read read a lot of stuff that eventually is the basis for other 
media, such as television or movies. Um, so they actually made a, an Expanse TV show, which is like a fantastic. Actually, that's what I started with, and then I found out it's based on a book series. Um, so I started reading that, and it's just it's really awesome. And highly recommend either one, uh, book or TV show. Um, is it a is it British? Is it, is either from British creators? No, actually, it's um, okay. it's um, from writers that I believe they worked under George R. R. Martin. Cool. So it has kind of that that feel to it, like it's, but it's sci-fi, which is kind of cool. Mm. So, um, and then I was um, actually rereading The Hobbit. I, I just wanted to reread that series because I rewatched all the movies recently. Um, and um, anything by Neil Gaiman, I'm like a yeah. super huge fan of Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. So I just finished the Graveyard book. Um, I'm starting Good Omens because they also just made that into a series. I haven't watched it yet because I want to read the book first. Um, so noble of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was also co-written by Terry Pratchett. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's uh, basically what's on my list. Are you uh, a Are you a Harlan Ellison fan? No, I can't say. Oh man, that'll know any work. That'll ruin your life. Oh, it's so good. He really? he sort of really kind of pioneered sort of a subgenre of sci-fi. You oh, should really? definitely check him out. He's a weird dude. Nice. I like that. Yeah. He does a lot of um a lot of time travel type of stuff. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Into that. Yeah, right? Definitely. Because yeah. there's so many things like like thematically that you can get from time travel mm -hmm. and just I feel like time travel just teaches us it, you shouldn't most of the time you shouldn't fuck with how things are <laughs> word word <laughs> so I've watched enough Doctor Who I, I know what's yeah. good and enough time travel episodes of Star Trek yeah I'm a I kind of fell off after Matt Smith. I did too. I fell off at exactly the same time. <laughs> I mean, I, I have nothing against like anything after that. I just kind of didn't pick back up after that. I think the uh, I think the storylines got a little too convoluted once Stephen Moffat started writing all of the episodes. Russell T Davies, it's like this is somewhat more digestible. That's true. You yeah, know, I did like Davies a lot more. Just because it, not only that, but it was more, I don't know, there's just something to it. I, I like the feel of them. I like, just, it, I think it was more digestible and just the characters were more likable in a sense. I think, and I think it just paid homage to the genre a little bit more concisely. The The human dramatic aspect of it, I feel like, wasn't sort of central 
in a way that it was after Moffat started writing, which isn't to say that I dislike Moffat's writing at all, no, but it's yeah. like, okay, like there's the sci-fi kitsch. Like this is, this is like nod to 1960s sci-fi, you know? And there are so many little Easter eggs in Davies stuff as far as references to like Douglas Adams and stuff. I mean, right. got episodes named 42 and the fact that characters carry towels and bathrobes with them <sighs> everywhere, you know? So it's just fun. It's just more fun. Yeah, that's true. I'll have to like check out because they have a new writer now. I'll check out his stuff and see how, or a new showrunner mm. rather, see how that compares to the previous two. Um, what's uh? What do you do when you're not like, let's say, besides, you know, everything that we've talked about, you know, how do you unwind? Um, I really, really enjoy physical activity okay. of, of any kind. Yeah. Um, I have started getting a little bit more into cooking lately because my family on my mom's side is very Italian and that's something I'm very proud of mm -hmm. and you can't really be an Italian who doesn't know how to cook right um so that's something I've been spending a lot of time doing lately I'm really boring outside of the stuff that I do professionally I'm really <laughs> there's really not a whole awful lot going on so it's I, I think we all have that that side that private side of us that is just kind of you know yeah you can take it or leave it yeah i think that's why i stay so busy because like who i am when nobody is around is very boring yeah. so it's like if i just stay busy i don't ever have to indulge that part of myself i mean i'm sure that that can be interpreted like mm. based on anyone's interpretation I, so. I do like collecting records since we were talking about turntables before. This. Oh, I love yeah. collecting weird out records. I've got a lot of uh, like just computer noises and Orthodox Jewish weddings on vinyl. <laughs> Things that really no reasonable human being should own. I have a record by a gentleman who identifies as the Rappin' Reverend. You okay. should go to YouTube and find this. Um, he wrote this song called I Ain't Into That. And it's basically like, I mean, this this brother is amazing. He basically comes, he goes on the record and says, you know, some people are into drugs, some people are into gang activity, but I ain't into that, you know? And so it's kind of a, a hidden gem in my collection. Not a lot of people know about this, but you should check out The Rap and Reverend. I ain't into that. <laughs> the, the cover is so intense. It's just his picture in some very plain font. It's very minimalist, very proto-minimalist, and it works on some level. Um, but yeah. Also starting to get more into Italian giallo films as of late. So... I don't even know. What is that? So it's, it's sort of a... Um, <sighs> This is oversimplifying it, but it's sort of like the Italian horror genre. Um, oh, yeah. It's, stuff. Yeah, like Dario Argento type of stuff. Okay. And it's, it's, I think, distinct from American horror because it is sort of inherently kitschy. It is sort of over the top. 
Yeah. Um, the soundtracks are really just profoundly awful. Um, so my my partner is a uh, he's a film studies major from Hopkins who okay. gave it up to play music. Um, so it's interesting because I don't I I like film. I like learning a lot about it. Um, but before I met him, I had never seen an Orson Welles film before, right. admittedly enough. <sighs> so, so yeah, just kind of digging deeper into that arbitrary rabbit hole. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that can definitely be quite a journey if you're not careful. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, So is there anything else that you would, you want to promote? Um, sure. So, so, you know, if, if anybody happens to be interested in learning a little bit more about what I do, um, I found out very early on when I started doing this, that there really aren't people doing what I do on such a narrow level. Um, I really didn't have anybody to turn to, to say, Hey, how do I do any of this? Yeah. What is the best way to get a website going? What's the best way to promote myself? Um, on my website, which is www.deepgreeninc.com, all one word, um, I am in the process of getting a blog uploaded that basically documents my frantic, frantic thoughts and puts them all in one place because people should know that if they are embarking on this, that they are not alone. Um, I list a little bit of my services over there, my portfolios over there, which is really cool. Um, I am partnering up with the newest jazz club in Pittsburgh called, called Con Alma. It is in Shadyside. It's on Ellsworth Avenue. Um, we have some really exciting programming coming up for people who are interested and fearless enough to kind of jump in headfirst to this music. Um, we have some interesting musicians coming in from out of state, a couple of New York cats that are coming in, which is really cool. We're going to be doing a week-long celebration of John Coltrane, who is sort of the gateway to um, a lot of musicians. Ray Manzarek from The Doors is a huge Coltrane fan. President, Former President Bill Clinton was a huge Coltrane fan. Um, we're going to be celebrating his life later on this September. I'm also going to be celebrating a couple of Pittsburgh musicians next month as their birthdays fall in the month of October. Um, more information on that and the really kind of stupidly amazing food and beverage menu is available at conalmapgh.com. That's C-O-N-A-L-M-A-P-G-H.com. We have over... 60 jazz events happening every week in Pittsburgh. If you want to learn more about those, you can check out WZUN's Jazz Central Calendar or pittsburgh.jazznearyou.com. Awesome. Um, and you already mentioned like your website, um, blog, um, how if people want to kind of follow you and what you do, how can they do that? Um, I am on Instagram. You can follow me at MackenzieHorn23. Um, you will get daily music recommendations, whether you ask for them or not. <laughs> You'll get the occasional picture of plates of food and occasional beautiful landscapes. Um, my aesthetic 
is very consistent. I don't know how interesting it is, but it is consistent. Um, you can find me there. You can also find me on Twitter at KenzieHorn23. Not as active as I want to be, but maybe if I have some people to interact with me and validate me in some way, maybe I would be a little bit more active on it. You can oh, also right. find me on good old-fashioned Facebook. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. So thanks for joining and giving me sort of a little piece of your mind and, you know, your perspective on things in the world of, such as writing and jazz. This was a really good conversation, Stephen. Yes. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you. Oh, man. <laughs> And that wraps up this episode of Decipher the Media. Um, please, please, please follow uh, Mackenzie and all that she does um, on social media or at her uh, website, www.deepgreeninc.com. Um, you can also find her on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also learn more about what she does at ConAlma. Um, if you want to learn more about that, uh, you can go to conalmapgh.com. Um, and like I said, uh, definitely go check out uh, more that she does and the community that she's involved in because it's very interesting and it's very wonderful to talk to her about all of those things. Um, we have a lot uh, coming up in the future episodes. I'm finally, finally, finally going to get this on a regular schedule. Um, that is definitely, definitely going to happen now that I have a good idea of where I'm taking the podcast. So you can expect to see, uh, more episodes consistently. Um, uh, we're going to try to keep it, uh, around, um, you know, a, a two week release schedule or at least at the very least, um, you know, a month between each episode release. Um, but definitely pushing for um, every two weeks, we'll have a new episode for you. Um, I just have, I have a lot of other projects going on right now. So uh, I would like to do more, but unfortunately I can't do more. So, but I think this is, you know, this is a, a very doable thing that uh, the, uh, schedule that I have in place right now. So I really look forward to uh, posting up more content here soon. Um, I already have a couple more um, creative individuals in the pipeline that are going to um, come on the talk or that have already come on the talk. Um, and we've had some great conversations and I can't wait to share those with you and share more about what goes on in creative media. Um, so with that, um, I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching this and please go like, subscribe, tell your friends about this. Um, it really helps to kind of get this out there and show people, um, you know, what, what creative individuals are doing in our community. I just love having these conversations with them. And just, uh, you know, love sharing stories with them. So please, 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 um, you know, pass this around. So, um, you know, it really 
it really motivates me to keep doing this. Um, so thank you so much. I will see you next time.